Wednesday, 1st of August, I think. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just going to run through these notes, um, the, the, the things that I said at um, uh, New Wine, just in case it's of interest to you. And this was, this was how it went. And the, the, the title of the thing was Going Deeper with God. Um, um, so what you think about God is the single most important thing in your life. And I asked them that if they had a pen and paper they would write it down because we were going to do an exercise at the end of the session to see how they saw God and who he was for them right now. So it wasn't rocket science. Uh, relax, you're going to enjoy this. So keep that question in your mind. How do I see God? Who is he to me right now? And because they were there for the week, and this was right at the start, I said that by the end of the week they may find that he was a lot more to them because he'd met with them and they had experienced things. So I suggested that they might do a comparison when they got home, and that was called journaling. It simply meant writing things down that God had spoken to them about and things that they prayed and experienced. And it was a good discipline and you can look back then and see what you've learnt when things get sticky, as they do from time to time. So the whole of your Christian life will be about getting to know him. It's brilliant. Here is someone you can never exhaust. Here is a book you will never finish. You'll never come to the end of knowing God because he's big. He's so big, he's big. And when we're born again and receive Christ, open our heart, or whatever term you understand about what happened to you when you became new, that's just the beginning of the most exciting journey you'll ever make in your life. Jesus is excited. The Bible says there is joy in the presence of the angels at one sinner who converts. He jumps up and down with excitement. Knowing God is exciting. You always know where you are with him, but you never know what he's going to do next. He's good, but he's unpredictable. It's the most exciting journey you will ever make. It's a journey into the heart of the one who loves you with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. Everything he is, is yours. The only thing that will limit your knowledge of him is you. It's entirely governed by your desire for him. You can have as much of him as you want. Isn't that lovely? The one who created you says, I'm all yours, I'm up for grabs, kids, and means it. He will never change the way he feels about you. It's called immutability. This means that God never, ever changes. He isn't going to wake up one morning and not like you. He settled it, he loves you, and that's that. All you need to do is to learn to live in it and enjoy it. It's not about you, it's about him. Beloved, it does not rest on you getting it right. You don't have to pass exams at the end of this. This is a relationship. First you get to go know God the Father as your loving Heavenly Father. Then you get to know Jesus as your Saviour, Lord and Friend. Then you get to know the Holy Spirit, the one who tells you all about Jesus and the Father. Brilliant, can't lose. did have some questions from them afterwards about that. One particular boy couldn't get his head around that. Yeah. Um, the fact that the, that uh, God is one in personality, but three three in personality, but one in essence. That that you know there were three things, and I said, "Well, just you know, don't worry about it. It'll happen." God will establish you in the fact that you are His beloved child before He does anything else. 
That's the first brick in the wall. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You cannot undo what God has done. You cannot lose your salvation. That's something else I want you to write down. I cannot undo what God has done. I cannot lose my salvation. I'm stressing this because as you go on in your Christian life, you may find that people will tell you that your salvation is conditional upon your performance. Beloved, this is not so. I want you to be so secure at the end of this afternoon that you can make choices about how you want the rest of your life to pan out. You can't do that unless you have certain facts at your disposal. First is eternal security. You are eternally secure in the arms of the Father. So you begin a journey into the heart of someone who loves you to bits. We often major on what we can do for him, but really we can do nothing. Jesus said, didn't he, without me you can do nothing. You can't do anything that will stand the test of time. He didn't mean you can't do anything, but nothing of lasting value without him at the centre. So what does it mean to have Jesus at the centre of your life? It can mean that some of the things you're currently doing and enjoying will have to go. That's hard, but is it? Paul said in Corinthians, light and darkness can't live together. Maybe some of the things you're doing and your friends are doing are actually coming from the darkness, not the light. I understand that the last Harry Potter book is either out or shortly will be out, and there may be some of you who've read and enjoyed these books. Harry will have to go if you're serious about going deeper. This isn't because God is a spoil sport, it's because he won't let you do anything that will ultimately hurt you, and getting involved in Harry Potter stuff will ultimately hurt you. So whenever he asks you to let go of something, remember this, it's for my good. What about Star Wars? Don't touch that, I love Star Wars. This comes into the category of sci-fi, or properly said, science, which is knowledge, and fiction, together, which is fictional knowledge. This fictional knowledge comes from the dark side, not from God. There is nothing out there in the universe but Him. Everything else is a lie. So lies aren't going to do you any good, are they? <laughs> Think about it. So in saying you want to go deeper into God, be aware there is a cost involved. What about friends? They will probably turn on you when you really decide you're going for gold with God. Light and darkness. You get to choose if what you are wanting is worth more than friendships. There is always a cost involved to following Jesus. I would not be telling you the truth if I let you think otherwise. But the reward far outweighs anything you may have to let go. But you get to choose. God will never force you. The role of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 16, 17 and 26. The Holy Spirit is our personal trainer. I need to explain a little bit about the role of the Holy Spirit in the earth at this time. Jesus said when he, the Comforter, is come, he will lead you into all truth. John 16:13. He is with you 24-7. Never leaves you, nor forsakes you, always available to talk to, always there to get your questions answered, just so long as it isn't the why question, never get an answer to that one this side of heaven. He's absolutely confident in himself, able to do everything. 
Graham Cook says the Holy Spirit told him to say, I'm a genius. Told me to say that. He's a genius. Just walks into a room and says, I can do that. It's my specialty. He's never floored by anything. Totally able to take care of any situation and he's with you all the time. What more could you ask? So if you don't know him, the first thing you will need to do right now is to ask him to come and fill you. Jesus said if you ask the Father, he will give generously. You cannot do this thing without the Holy Spirit. He will teach you and guide you and speak to you. He indwells you, has to go where you go. Sometimes he wishes he didn't have to go there, but there it is. He gets to go where you go. Tell him you want to know him. Ask him how to teach you how to walk the next leg of your journey. He'll be delighted. It's okay while I'm here, but what about when I get home? While you are here, you're having a wonderful time. It's going to be easy talking to God and fellowshipping with others. But when you get home, how are you going to be able to keep what you received here? There are one or two things you can do. They all involve what I call the D words. Desires, decisions and discipline which produce delight. This means if you are feeling a desire to be with God rising in you, you will really have to decide to set some time aside every day to be with God and be disciplined in keeping that time for Him. And the result is you will be delighted. God is delightful to be with. He's a real pleasure to be with. If you make an appointment to be with to see your mate, you keep it, don't you? God is just the same. He'll turn up even if you don't. He won't be cross if you're not there. He'll simply send someone to say, tell them I miss them. He really does enjoy spending time with you. Time. In spiritual terms, time is the only currency we have. The people in the world will tell you it's money. For us, it is time. So now is a good time to make good choices, good decisions about how you're using your time. Decide that when you get home you aren't going to spend hours on the computer or what you presently spend your time doing. First decision. Good one. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you stick to your decisions because they will be attacked when you get home. You make the decision. The Holy Spirit backs you with his power to bring it into being. It's called grace. Always call on the Holy Spirit's power in your life to help you. You make the decision, He empowers. Read the Bible. Next decision, you really are going to get a copy of the Bible and read it. It won't help you sitting on the shelf. Don't be haphazard about this. Some Bibles have a reading plan in the front. Decide to follow it. You can also get a Bible version that will take you through the year in easy bits all set out for you. Hodder and Stoughton published the book Through the Bible in a Year in the NIV, good one, and Walk Through the Bible is another good book to have by you. This will take you through the Bible in a year and gives commentaries on what's happening. I recommend this one too. Develop your prayer life. Prayer is simply having a conversation with the one who loves you. Talk to God as you would to your best friend. You can tell him anything. He understands. And when you talk to him, Take time to listen to his reply because he will speak to you. Maybe not audibly, but in your heart you will hear something, in your knower, as we say. And when he asks you to do something, do it. Obey. Say no to the things God is asking you to say no to, and yes to the things he's asking you to do. This is a decision too. 
Father, when I get home, I don't want to lose all you have given me here. Please enable me to do what you ask of me. Remember God is not a spoil sport. You do have a very real enemy of your soul, the devil or Satan, and he will try to get you to forget everything you heard here. Be on the lookout for him. Again, enroll the help of the Holy Spirit. Finally, keep on keeping on. Keep going. Don't give up when the going gets tough. You know the old saying that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Press into the Holy Spirit. Ask him questions. The best one when something unexpected hits is not help, but what does this mean? What are you saying, Lord? Or what are you teaching me? We are all in God's school of the Spirit and will be until Jesus comes. So settle down, enjoy the journey and keep on keeping on. We've sort of looked at the fruit of the Spirit of self-control, but I want to now just move on to the fruit of love. Um, I think you'll find if you read it, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, um, it starts with love and ends up with self-control. They're like bookends, Joyce Mayer says. 1 Corinthians 12. So we just have a little look at this. Yes, dear. Sorry? If there's not, there's a whole pile of them underneath. I was wondering what I was going to say. There's an NIV there. 'Earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the greatest and best gifts and graces, the higher gifts and the choicest graces, and yet I will show you still a more excellent way, one that is better by far and the highest of them all, love. And then he goes on to say, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, you know, he goes on about this. Love is patient, love is kind, and all this and this and this and this. So we're going to have a quick look at love. Can, is it in Galatians actually the, the the fruit of the spirit? It is, isn't it? Galatians five. Just have a little quick squint back at that. See, I'm fully prepared for today. Galatians five twenty two. This is where it starts it. And there it starts with five twenty two. The fruit of the spirit. The work which His presence within accomplishes is love. So it starts with that. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. So love and self-control like a couple of bookends there. So we're gonna, we've had a look a bit at self-control, but now we're going to have a little look at love, which is the more excellent way. So he says, I seek those gifts, but I show you a more excellent way. And Philippians 1, 9 and 10, lots of scriptures this morning. 
this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight, that your love may display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment, so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognising the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences and that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied you may approach the day of Christ not stumbling nor causing others to stumble. What's jumped out at me as reading that is the word excellent. Excellent way, seek what is excellent, abound in love. It's interesting that word excellence is popping up um, once or twice around us. You know, we went to this B&B place and this lady had got in the first 10% for excellence in a four-star AA bed and breakfast. It was AA, wasn't it? Yeah. And I, I felt it wasn't too too bad because it was £22 a night. Um, and someone we know in uh, Tunbridge Wells, as I understand it, charges £79 a night oh, yeah. for a B&B. Yeah. Uh, and um, I thought that, that, that there was no comparison, really, um, between the place and the setting. And it was just absolutely incredible. We didn't know before we went there that it was a four star. We just June looked them up for me, and we went for that one, and it was lovely. It was a non-working farm. And when I said to her, "How much ground have you got?" this "Oh, only twenty-seven acres. <laughs> only twenty-seven acres." Oh, I was saying, it was really, really lovely. So, when you think about being excellent, you, n- none of us can aspire to being excellent over a broad area, I don't think. I think you've got to narrow it down and be excellent in your field, if you see what I mean. For me, specifically now, I want to be excellent in what I'm called to do. and not I can't do everything, but I can do what I'm called to do as well as I possibly can. Um, it says in, in, in Colossians, I think, doesn't it? Do everything as unto the Lord. That is what is important. It is who you are serving. For it is the Lord Christ you are serving, I think it says. So you seek to do your very best, being aware that you are serving him, though you might be serving people at the same time, which is what that lady was doing, but she was an unbeliever dear people they were. He was coming up for 80 and she was into her 70s I should think. So Daniel, here we have an Old Testament guy, um, displayed spiritual gifts because he was an excellent man of God. Uh, Daniel 5, 11 to 14. <coughs> Remember he was all the way along, he was called out because he showed an excellence and he was trained even in in exile. He never lost the fact that he served the Lord. He didn't become involved. You remember right early on in Daniel, he wouldn't eat the king's sweetmeats. He said, uh, I'm not going to do that. 
just flip back to chapter one of Daniel for a moment. Um, let me see. They were they were taken into uh, exile because, as you know, Israel had uh, just broken covenant with God, and and the threat was they would go into exile. So the king now is after youths without blemish, well favoured in appearance and skilful. This is verse four of chapter one. Discernment and understanding apt in learning knowledge, competent to stand and serve in the king's palace, and to teach them in literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned for them a daily portion of his own rich and dainty food, and of the wine which he drank. They were to be so educated and so nourished for three years, that at the end of that time they might stand before the king. <clears throat> of course, Daniel was one of these guys. And Daniel's name was changed to Belshazzar, and Shadrach and Meshach were actually Hananiah and Azariah um, and Abednego. So they changed their names. But Daniel determined in his heart that he would not defile himself by eating his portion of the king's rich and dainty food or by drinking the wine which he drank because, you know, they had certain regulations about what they could and couldn't have as Jews and so he was not going to do that. Now God made Daniel to find favour, compassion and loving kindness with the chief of the eunuchs uh, and he's allowed him to do what he wanted. And you know the upshot was that for ten days they had a vegetable diet and water to drink and their appearance was better by far than any of the others. Uh, verse 15, at the end of ten days it was seen they were looking better and taking on more flesh than all the ewes who ate of the king's rich dainties. So they continued to go like that. And God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all kinds of visions and dreams. <clears throat> and you know he was promoted because of his excellence. And he actually became head over all the diviners and the um, witchcraft people. Um, what do they call them? Astrologers. <clears throat> the astrologers and things. Not that he took on what they did he brought the word of the Lord into the situation but he was an excellent man of God and he stayed true to the Lord so in Daniel 5 11 to 14 something's cropping up this is Belshazzar the uh, descendant of Nebuchadnezzar having his feast you remember this goes on for many many a tekel of passing you've been wading the balances and found wanting not a nice one to find out but still 11 to 14. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God and in the days of your father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar your father, the king I say your father, appointed him master of the magicians, enchanters, soothsayers and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, clarify riddles and solve knotty problems were found in this same Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Again Belshazzar's got himself a problem, he's had a dream um, and he didn't know what it was all about and so they called for him. I think that's what he had, it was a dream wasn't it? Yes. No, it was when he, the fingers of the man's hand wrote on the plaster of the wall. That was it, rather scary for him. 
And Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Judah? I've heard of you, that the spirit of the holy God, or gods, is in you, and that light and understanding and superior wisdom are found in you. And so he seeks to find out from him what was going on. But the point is that Daniel was excellent in what he did. He did uh, what he could to the absolute best of his ability and he wasn't put off by what was going on around him. Remember that uh, this edict went out that they were not to bow down um, before any god but Nebuchadnezzar but he still did it. He still worshipped the Lord in spite of the danger to his um, himself ended up in the lion's den. So people seeking the love walk are also seeking to live excellent lives, seeking excellence in personal behaviour. We can't walk in love and be mediocre. Basically love is how we treat people. If we are mediocre we will treat people with a lack of respect. If we are excellent we will treat people excellence, excellently. And it's our personality that's an area to examine. And your personality is that which makes you a distinct individual or the thing that constitutes individuality. The totality of qualities and traits as of character or behaviour that are peculiar to an individual. Distinctive traits of mind and behaviour. And uh, when we looked at self-control, I think we looked at uh, last week or the week before, what happens when someone actually wants to, or the Lord wants to come and change us, and how we uh, respond to that. Um, if, it, if we respond by allowing the Lord to change us, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, Afterwards, we don't get the fruit in the middle, we get it afterwards. But if we don't, um, we just keep going round and round it. We're rejecting what the Lord is saying. He's saying, get off my back, I don't want this, I don't want to change. Uh, and there were various ways we saw that we actually responded in, to, in that. And the usual response was to feel rejected and retreat and feeling sorry for ourselves and having a bit of a pout, really. And we saw also that self-pity was one of the most detrimental factors to our growth in the Lord. So for us to begin to grow out of that response, um, we need to recognise that we've got a problem, and we are the problem sometimes. And to see that correction is an act of love, not rejection or a threat, because the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone who he loves. Uh, and third, to embrace the correction and set our will to change. Our challenge is to actually lean, we saw last time, into the point of pain rather than run from it, which is not easy. And uh, as I said, I'm always saying, correct me severely and deal with me ruthlessly. And we need to mean it. We need to really say, don't stop disciplining me until you've accomplished everything you need to in this area of my life. And the hardest discipline is, is the one we resist, and the easiest one is one that we re re embrace.
So we're talking about uh, personality that makes you a distinct individual or the thing that constitutes individuality. The pattern of collective character, behavioural, temperamental, emotional and mental traits of an individual or distinctive qualities of an individual, especially those distinguishing personal characteristics that make one socially appealing. So our personalities are a combination of our God-given temperament and those things that have occurred in our lives in the past that have formed and moulded us, as, moulded us as individuals. And often, actually, the personality needs healing. An insecure person was not born insecure. He may have been born with a sensitive nature and been around harsh people who showed a lot of disapproval. And this will often leave a sensitive person insecure. A person who is inclined toward perfectionism will usually be insecure if they encountered a lot of disapproval from parents or peers. So the personality needs healing. To mistreat people, uh, to be rude, harsh, controlling, manipulative, selfish or insincere and then say, well, it's just how I am, is not acceptable. Maybe we've actually got uh, what I'll put this morning, um, spiritual hardening of the arteries. Are your spiritual arteries hardened? Is the love of God clogged up in you? Because Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. And that's God's love in us. But if our arteries are like clogged up, it's, not gonna, it's, it's like the old bottleneck. It's not going to go anywhere. It's in us and we can accept it for ourselves, but it's not actually shed abroad um, in someone else. I know that had I not had the training I've had here and for years of sitting opposite people who have uh, risen up against me and argued the toss and done one thing and another when I've tried to say, well, it's like this. It would have been very different when I met these youngsters at Shepton Mallet because one particularly was challenging all the time what I was saying afterwards. Yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. And I kept saying to him, go away and pray about it. Ask him, ask him. You know, well, you're saying what you're saying is right. It was what he was going, and, and I'm, no, I'm laying down the truth. There's a difference, and you know, we had this. He kept coming in, kept wanting to argue about this thing. And had I not actually been dealt with by God, I'd have probably wanted to give him a bunch of fivefold ministry, because he was provoking all the time to an argument, and I just wasn't going to rise to it because I didn't see any point because that was not what I was there for. I was there to lay down the truth and show him what the truth was. It was up to him whether he picked it up or not. It's never my, never my role to make them believe anything. Some people know that Dominique rang this morning, which was absolutely brilliant. God told me she would be back. I wasn't sure if I'd heard him or not. Um, he said, she said, uh, I said, I'll give you love to everybody then, dear. She's not here, of course, this week. And I don't think she'll be here next week, but she hopes to come to the healing conference. And she said, um, I'm listening to what you said. So I sort of skimmed over that a bit. <laughs> I thought, well, we'll wait and see. But actually, of course, what she is displaying is, is immature behaviour. She's stuck in self-pity. 
and I truly don't think it's a case of prayer ministry any longer. I think it's a case of growing up time. Because we can get, when we've been around that circuit, uh, around the healing ministry and, the, and the, everything that's going on with that, go from one meeting to another, you know, looking to get your needs met, when actually the way to get them met is to grow up to come out of the self-pity routine and as you said the sulking routine because it's just it's simply immaturity so we've got to decide sometime to, to grow up um, but it was very good to speak to her and, and uh, you know again you can you know your own inner response to anything like that um, when there's been a difficult situation and then the person comes back on the scene your litmus paper is how you rise up on the inside when well, nothing in me rose. I actually didn't recognise a voice for a second. Um, and uh, when she said who it was, I just was, uh, oh, hello love, how you doing, sort of thing. Um, and it's then that you know how much the fruit of God's Spirit is being allowed to grow in you. It's like that time I'm always wanting to say when I was working at Bexley. And I'd try to get in early so that I could get just five minutes ahead of everything. It was when Manny was still there, I think. And um, I stepped in my office at half past eight in the morning and the phone started to ring and I was absolutely furious. I thought, half past eight in the morning, they're on the phone already. So I strode across the office, picked up the phone, ready to bite the head off and heard myself say, good morning, how can I help you? <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> the Holy Spirit just overrode, showed me a different way of doing things. So I would say if you're having a struggle with your old responses, say to him, you won't like the answer, um, how else could I have done that then? Because I used to do this a lot with the Holy Spirit. I would say to him after a day at work, well, how else could I have said that, done that then? How else could I need to tell me? And I think, well, if you put it like that, I suppose I could. <laughs> Not being so full of grace and truth. and But eventually, that it permeates like osmosis. And uh, you, you get to find the change is taking place, like again with the, uh, the car and the to-do that we very nearly had with that when I wanted to have the man's head off at the neck and just com submitted myself to the Holy Spirit and something completely different came out. So 1 Corinthians 13, we started off around here now, 1 to 8. We all get the same equipment. And here it is. If I can speak in the tongues of men and even angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for and in us, I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, and understanding all the secret truths and mysteries, and possess all knowledge, and if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains, have not love, God's love in me, I am nothing, a useless nobody. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food and I surrender my body to be burned, 
but have not love, that God's love in me, I gain nothing. Here's a little description of love. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious or boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant and inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it's not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of a person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. As for prophecy, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, it will be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues, they will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, it will lose its value and be superseded by truth. So everything it's saying there is, it's going to pass away. The only thing that is going to stay is love. And that is God's love in us beginning as a seed. And the seed develops and bears fruit only as we learn to love others and let God's love flow through us. And when we love one another, 1 John 4.12 says, 1 John 4.12, flip over there James Peter John 1 John 1 John 4 12 No man has at any time yet seen God but if we love one another God abides lives and remains in us and his love that love which is essentially his is brought to completion to its full maturity, runs its full course, is perfected in us. That's what God's after. The character of Jesus being perfected and grown in us. So when we love one another, God abides, his presence is with us. And its love is brought to completion when we love others. God's love, which is poured into us, is, has made full circle. But when we close our hearts, we clog up the love of God. And that's how we get hardening of the arteries. So do we need some spiritual diner rod going on here? Push it through. We close or open our hearts of compassion. Here comes the hard one. Operating in love is a choice, not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. We choose to love. We choose to love people with the love wherewith God loved us. So we receive his love. We come to love ourselves in a proper way, a balanced way. We love God and we let him flow out of us to other people. We'll never do it on our own. So 
we try to make a decision that we're going to be different, we'll fall flat on our faces. It is only going to be as we yield to the present moment in God and yield to the Holy Spirit, how do you want to respond in this, that the love will flow out of us. We cannot do it otherwise, because what will flow out is our fallen nature. And that's what people will receive, um, is a dose of the flesh rather than a dose of the spirit. I really feel I just want to stop there, if that's okay.